Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. They're hungry for eternal life in heaven. And God says, I will not send them away hungry. And he satisfies them. It's as, as he said in John six thirty five. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. He that cometh to me shall never hunger for eternal life. Why? Because he said, I will not send them away hungry. That's why he puts out this invitation to the hungry. As he said in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, he said, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk without money, without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken unto me. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your heart, and come unto me. I mean, you could just hear the words of Matthew. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. He says, come unto me, and your soul shall live and I will, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So, that's his call to the hungry. Ho, everyone that is thirsty and hungry. Everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, hungry in their soul for cleansing from sin. Come, he says, come. The Lord Jesus Christ says, come to me, because he's the one who says, I won't send you away hungry. Hungry in their soul for God's forgiveness for their sins. He says, come, I will not send them away hungry. Hungry in their soul for a new real life with friendship with God. That's life, friendship with God. He says, come. He says, come, because I won't send you away hungry. Hungry in their soul for salvation from the eternal death of hell, which they deserve, which we all deserve because of our sins. He says, come. Why? Because he says, I will not send them away hungry. Hungry in their soul for knowing that heaven is a reality, a reality that it's theirs when they die. They want that, hungry, and the Lord Jesus says, come, because I won't send you away hungry. Now, verse 18, we see, uh, as opposed to the false friend in the king of Sodom, we see the friend, the true friend that God sent to Abraham. And what do we see that Melchizedek did for Abraham? First of all, Melchizedek saw that Abraham needed food So notice the first thing that Melchizedek does for Abraham is to bring him food. Very simple. He saw Abraham needed food. He met the need. That reminds me of of, uh, Pastor Jim. i never forget this. I think I've told you before. 1976. And uh, I I needed to, just starting the business, needed to find people who had goats, couldn't couldn't afford to buy my own goats. Now I'm a very rich man. I could afford to buy my own goats. (laughs) That time I couldn't. And so I had to make a deal with people that had goats where they would let me inject, immunize their goats. I had a spiel. And then after some months, I told them I'd come and I'd pay them and take blood from their goats. And I was looking all over for goats. And Russ Plowman, who was at that time working for Caltrans for the roads, and he was working on the roads out in El Centro, out there in the desert. And he told me that 
as he was driving down there, that there was this farmer out there, and he had, oh, at least a hundred wild goats. <laughs> and, and, and at night, Russ, would, when he was driving back, he saw those goats, and they were all penned up on the side of the road, and the pen was made up of pallets held together by baling wire, and then they had some kind of, about four feet off the ground, a, a, a pallet roof, a roof made out of pallets too. And so he said, you go down there and talk to the guy. So I went down there, and I made a deal with that farmer who, who said, oh, yeah, he says, uh, I let these goats out. They're a little wild, he said. I let them out during the day, and at night, I, and, and you can come at night. And so well, Russ was working out there. You know, the Caltrans was paying for his hotel room. And so Russ said, look, he said, uh, if you, they're going to be there at night, so if you come in the middle of the night and you work, he says, I guarantee you're going to need a shower, <laughs> he said. So he said, when I check out of my hotel, uh, check out or I leave the hotel in the morning, then you can come in and use the shower. So, you know, money was a little scarce, so I thought that's a good idea. So um, I figured that I needed to start about 2 in the morning, and then about 7, that would time it just perfectly, so I should finish after about 5 hours. And about seven, I could coordinate, and Russ would be leaving, and I could go in and take a shower. So I told Pastor Jim about the plan, you know, and, and how I was going to go there and, and work in El Centro. And then Pastor Jim said, well, I'll go with you and help you. I don't think he knew. But <laughs> that was a long, long night. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can try to paint this picture for you, what it was like, but kind of picture this. Is that Jim and I are in this pen, we're on our knees, because don't forget the pallet the roofs is four feet off the ground. So we're on our knees, we're working on our knees all night long. And each one of us had one of those shepherd's canes, or shepherd's crook, you know, with the little hook on the end of it. And we would be on one end of this pen, and on the other end would be these hundred wild-eyed, sh- crazy shrub goats that were so crazed, some of them would actually kind of like bounce up and down off the ground as they would look at us. And, and then Jim, he had a paint stick in his back pocket, and I'd put a syringe in my mouth. I looked like a pirate, you know? <laughs> no, no syringe. And I'd yell, now, you know? And then we'd go charge to the other side of the pen, and the goats would run around us, and, and as they would run around us, we'd throw our shepherd's crook out and try to trip one of them, see? And then we'd go and we'd plunge on top of this goat and wrestle them down, and then we'd expose his back and... And, and, and I would give uh, 20 injections, small intradermal injections along the nuchal muscle, along the back muscle of the goat. Okay? And then Jim would take out his paint stick and he would mark the... Uh. And so all night long, that's what we did. We wrestled, a hun- wrestled down 100 goats one by one. We injected them one by one. We paint stick marked them one by one. And we caught the same goat many times because <laughs> that's, we, that's the way it had to work. And all night long, we banged our heads on that pallet roofs, and we breathed in so much dust that we just coughed up dirt. And after we'd wrestled down one goat, Jim just kind of like sat back, and he got this kind of squinted eyes on his look, and I thought there was something wrong with him, you know. So I said, are are you all right? Are you all right, Jim? Because he stopped, and he said, I now understand why the Lord said to the goats on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. (laughs) Yeah. But why did Jim do all that for me? Because he knew, he saw that I needed help. That was the kind of person Pastor Jim was. That's the kind of person he was. He saw I needed help, he jumped in on the need. It didn't matter to Jim that he had the title of pastor, the pastor. 
He jumped into that dirty goat pen with me because he saw the need and he did it himself. That's the kind of person Melchizedek was. Melchizedek, he saw the need, he jumped in to help. That's what makes verse 18 so remarkable because just as Jim had the title of pastor and he jumps in on that dirty goat pen with me, so verse 18 tells us that Melchizedek had three great titles. Melchizedek, his first title, king of righteousness, which is what the term Melchizedek means. Second title, king of peace, which is what king of Salem means. And third title, priest of the most high God. It's hard to imagine higher position than that, More, greater titles than those three titles. And what do we see this great king of righteousness, king of peace, priest of the most high God doing? Verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. So just as Jim Mader jumped into that dirty goat pen, and he was a pastor of Mission Valley Community Chapel, verse 18 reads the same way. That's what's being emphasized in verse 18. It's the last part of that verse is so important. Melchizedek himself brought out, like a servant would, bread and wine to Abraham. That's what verse 18 is emphasizing to us. It's saying that Melchizedek made himself a servant. Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. That, what does that show us about Melchizedek? That Melchizedek thought about others more than himself. He had an attitude of not looking on his own needs, but on the needs of others. That's the key. Melchizedek had a mind of caring about others. He's an example to us of how we should have that same mind in us to care for others. He's bringing bread and he's bringing wine to Abraham who needed bread and wine. That's the mind that's referred to in Philippians 2, 4 through 8, where it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind or attitude Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, think of the titles, the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, form of God, equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashions of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So the Lord Jesus Christ gives us an example of how we're to serve others he, in, in his whole life. And then if it wasn't enough by what he did on the cross, he in John 13 does this amazing thing where it says he, he rose up from supper he, laid, supper, he laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had. And then it says, later on in verse 12, it says, after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? He asked. You call me master and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do, that I should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord. He said also in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 
So Melchizedek thought of Abraham's needs, and therefore he brought bread and wine to Abraham because that's the type of person Melchizedek was or is. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, he thought of the needs of others. He thought of the needs of lost men, and therefore he went to the cross to die for their sins. And also on the cross, when he's there, he's thinking of others. And so in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Forgive others, is what he's saying. In the midst of his immense suffering, his, his, his torturous death process, he's thinking of others. And he's thinking of their need to be forgiven. He's thinking how hungry they're going to be as they come for forgiveness, and he's saying, I will not send them away hungry. Now, what did Melchizedek do? Well, first of all, Melchizedek was a friend. And, and, and no one's happy that's described by Simon and Garfunkel's song, you know, I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. And then he says, I'm a rock. I'm an island. Nobody's happy that way. And that's not true that anybody can be happy that way because we all have need of friendship. We have need of friends. And so friendship is something that has to be maintained as it says in Proverbs 18.24, a friend that has friends must show himself friendly. Now, how do we show ourselves friendly? How do we be a true friend? Well, what we can look at in verses 18 through 20, in the history between these two friends, Melchizedek and Abraham, and Melchizedek as a true friend to Abraham, and we can say, okay, what can we learn as we look at Melchizedek as a friend about how to be a good friend? So we learn how to be a true friend by seeing, first of all, he took time. Melchizedek took time to first look at his friend Abraham and see what did Abraham need? What was his needs? Just like Pastor Jim, I needed a helper out there. So first, Melchizedek saw that his friend Abraham was in physical needs, so he brought him bread and wine. Second, he saw that his friend Abraham was in need of prayer, so he prays for him. He's the priest of the Most High God. In fact, some of these words here are actually text of a prayer. Third, he saw his friend needed encouragement. Abraham needed encouragement. And so how does he encourage him? He encourages him by, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. So that's what he does. He says, Melchizedek went to Abraham's friend. He says, now come on, Abraham, let's count your blessings. Let's name them one by one. Number one, Abraham It was not just anyone who blessed you. You've been blessed by the Most High God. He cares for you. The Most High God cares for you, number one. Number two, blessing Abraham, you've been blessed by the possessor of heaven and earth. Number three, Abraham, God has just delivered your enemies right into the palm of your hand. Look at it, Abraham, right into the palm of your enemies. Your your hand, your enemies, which were so numerous, which were so strong, God just rolled them right up, put them right into the palm of your hand. Now, Abraham, we just counted your blessings. We named them one by one. Aren't you surprised what the Lord has done? So fourth, Melchizedek saw that his friend Abraham needed to progress from counting his blessings to praising his God. That's a very important transition. It's, don't, don't miss that. In verse 19, when he says, blessed be Abraham, Abram, there is a transition in verse 20 where he said, blessed be the most high God. So the transition from verse 19, blessed be Abraham, 
to blessed be the Most High God is very essential. And Melchizedek knows that he's encouraging his friend Abraham, he has to turn his joy from the blessings to the blesser. And that's just like the hymn hymn says it that way when it says, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. And then it says, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. Isn't that precious? There's the hand of the Lord giving the crown, and the eyes don't go to the crown, it goes to the pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. So, fifth, Melchizedek saw that Abraham needed some specific preparation for what he was about to face. Melchizedek wasn't blind. He saw the king of Sodom moving in, and Melchizedek prepared him to think, Abraham, on certain aspects of God. He needed to be prepared to face the king of Salem. So Melchizedek plants in Abraham's mind this first truth about God. God is the most high God. You see Melchizedek just planting that thought in Abraham's mind. Abraham, you're going you're gonna to stand before a high king of Sodom who's going to make a proposal to you, but you serve the most high God, so keep your eyes on the most high God, and that'll keep you from buckling under before the less high God, the king of Sodom. So Abraham needed to be prepared to give up also all of his possessions that he had recovered from Kedilohermer. So Melchizedek planted this second truth about God, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And all that stuff that you brought back for God, that's chump change, buddy. That's chump change for God. So don't get hung up on that. Now, in verse 20, we come, and Melchizedek saw that Abraham was in danger of becoming proud, which is a natural inclination, over what he had just accomplished. So, sixth, Melchizedek saw that Abraham needed humility to clearly see that it was not Abraham that did this, but it was God who gave Abraham the victory over his enemies. So Abraham's in danger of thinking that he's great. And so, so, so Melchizedek plants this third important truth about God in Abraham's mind. Melchizedek roots out the pride like a gardener would. He roots out the pride and he plants this very important word, and it's the word into into in verse 20. In verse 20, into thy hand. Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Into was a very important word, as opposed to the word by, by thy hand. We'll take time to turn to it, but you can look later. Isaiah 10:34 says, For a proud man saith, for he saith, By this by the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom. Melchizedek purposely used that word into and purposefully did not use that word by. Instead, he said, into thy hand, God did it. Not by your hand, you did it, but into thy hand, God did it. And that one word made all the difference in the world for Abraham to see that it was not him that did it, it was God who did it. And so Melchizedek blocks pride in his friend Abraham. And what? And was Melchizedek successful? Did he really get, yes. He was successful. How do we know? The last part of verse 20, where it says, and Abraham responds now, and he gives him tithes of all. Melchizedek succeeded with his friend by causing him not to become proud, by causing him to count his blessings, by causing him to praise the Lord 
and last, by causing Abraham to worship the Lord with offerings to God. Now, verse 21, okay, the interruption's finished, the preparation is done, the bell rings, Abraham goes back into the ring, verse 21. Now, Melchizedek says to Abraham, you're ready now, you're ready, go face your trial. I've prepared you, now you're ready. And so Abraham turns back, and he hears these tempting words of the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom says in verse 21, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Oh, those are, those are classic words of the devil. Give me and take to thyself. That's always the way it works with Satan. Give me and take to thyself. There's always a price to be paid with Satan. Nothing's free. When the devil tempts a person, he doesn't tempt a person, just take. He says, just take. He says, give me and take. There's always an if. In Matthew 4, 9, when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the wilderness, the devil said to them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Always a compromise. I'll give you this pleasure if you agree to sin against God. And after all, why shouldn't Abraham take all these goods to himself? After all, God had delivered them into his hand. After all, God, Abraham could use all that. Why should he take those goods? He fought the battle. But Abraham saw something, and before the king of Sodom made his proposal, Abraham had made a secret vow to God. Nobody knew about this. And now Abraham reveals that secret vow in verse 22. And he says, I have lift up mine hand to the Lord, the Most High God. So he says to the king of Sodom that he had already secretly, unseen to others, lifted up his hand to God and he told God, He wasn't going to take a thread to a shoelace of what the king of Sodom had. That's a great phrase that Abraham used there, verses 22 to 23. Those words, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord that I will not take. Abraham looks at his hand, and he he lifts it up to God, and he says, with this hand, I I take things. And with this hand that I take things with, I vow that with this hand to only take what God gives me. What a great phrase. What a great practice for us to follow. How about every morning in our quiet time, we follow Abraham's lead is here. And we lift up a foot to God. And we say, with this foot I go. And I've lift up my foot to you today, Lord, so that I vow to only go where you lead me. How about we touch our heart and touch our heart and we say to God, with this heart I love. And I have lift up my heart to you today, God, so, and vow only to love what you love. How about we touch our head and we say, with this, with this mind, with this head, I think and I meditate. And I lift up my mind to you today, God, so that I vow to only think and meditate on God. And how we touch our ear and we say, with this ear, I hear. I hear things with this ear. I lift up my ears to you today, Lord, and vow to listen to others, to hear how I can help them. How about touch our mouths? And we say, with this mouth, I speak. I lift up my mouth to you today, and I vow only to speak what you lead me to say. And last, we can say with Abraham, with this hand I take, and I lift up my hand to the Lord that I will not take what he does not give me. That's a great pattern for dedication. That's what dedication is. That's what dedication is. And he saw, because Abraham saw a problem, he said, He talks about it in verse 23. Doesn't want to take a thread to a shoe latchet. And he says, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. He didn't want the scenario to come about 
where the king of Sodom would come and say, oh, Abraham, how are you today? Oh, that thread, you made a coat out of the thread I gave you. I made you rich, Abraham. Oh, the shoelace, I used to use that shoelace. Isn't that a great shoelace? I give it to you. I make you rich, Abraham. Abraham said, no, that's not going to happen. That's an alliance of goods. That's an alliance of wealth. It won't happen. And so he makes this vow. And this is, a, this is, this is, this is where we see Abraham in his great resolve, in his discernment of what he sees down the road is going to happen. And he says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let that happen. And he lives for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Abraham, Lord, and help us to do more than just say Abraham our father, but help us to be the children of Abraham and copy what we've seen him do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30 p.m., we'll study aliens, UFOs, and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us, 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.